0: If you're a pastor or church leader, I'm sure at times it can feel overwhelming to see the amount of people in your congregation who are walking through pain and crisis right now. I wish it weren't true, but the common denominator of life is pain. And as a pastor myself, I know firsthand that another unfortunate common denominator is that pain tends to derail people in your congregation from moving with you on mission and purpose. The enemy's tactics have always been to neutralize our God given purpose within the local church, and he frequently uses tragedy and trauma to do it. If you're like most pastors, you probably feel like you don't have the resources, staffing, bandwidth, or curriculum to address all the pain points in your church, which is why we want to bring the Pain to Purpose course to your local congregation. We developed this course as a pathway to come alongside you, help people heal inside the context of their own spiritual community and release them back on mission within your local church. When my late wife Amanda was murdered in 2015, I wish someone had laid out a pathway that was this clear to help me and the members of our congregation move from pain to purpose. After tens of thousands of dollars spent on counseling for me and my staff, hundreds of hours of interviewing others who have walked through pain on this podcast, and dozens of hours of reading and researching everything I could get my hands on, we've finally created that pathway— And we'd love to come alongside you to bring it to your congregation in a way that's extremely affordable. If you're interested in finding out more about the pain to purpose course, head over to my pain to slash churches. I truly believe and have witnessed it firsthand that what the enemy means for evil, God wants to use to catalyze a renewed and even stronger sense of purpose within the members of your congregation. So again, If you'd like us to partner with you to make that happen, head over to com slash churches. That's com slash churches. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me are co-host Aubrey. Aubrey, it's great to have you.
1: So great to be here. How you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm really excited for the listener to hear this conversation with Jill Monaco. As I, as I yes. mentioned last episode, this is one of those that really uh, just made me come alive. And I think, it, you know, obviously her story is very difficult. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a tough story and, and we'll yeah, kind of give is. some preface to that in just a second but the way i i was so encouraged by her the way she applied herself in healing
2: mm-hmm. and
0: she's able to articulate that really well in a very almost analytical way that she's kind of parsing this out and so yeah. it 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 awoke a lot of uh awoke is that the right awakened i don't know uh-huh. a lot of like nerdiness in me to go <laughs> oh yes talk to me about that more because i'm so fascinated about how the mind works physiologically how god wired that to work how it correlates with our heart and how we see how god it's and, all
1: so connected oh, I know. yeah she almost like i like i was thinking of her as almost a holy spirit architect like she like systematizes yes. What the Holy Spirit does through healing, but not in a way that's like follow A B C, but just like, yeah, like you're saying, the way that the brain works with the trauma in your body and your heart and your emotions. And right. anyway, she's brilliant, so right. I'm so excited that we have her on I today. Know,
0: absolutely brilliant. And we, you know, we do want to give some uh, preface to this. That again, this is a very difficult story, and we talk about
1: yeah.
2: uh,
0: sexual abuse. We talk about, yeah. um, especially the nature of spiritual abuse, kind of both of those. Uh, topics converging at a a head and you know, this is a very, a lot more prevalent of an issue, Aubrey, than what um, many people will think. And this is the the spiritual abuse thing was in some ways kind of a a novel term for me. um, Oh really? Wow. Yeah. You know, when we started talking about it and then, you know, I'd heard it kind of referenced before, but I hadn't heard it really explained very, um, you know, very, very thoroughly until, we had this conversation with Jill. So, but then you and I started talking about this and you were mm-hmm. kind of unpacking some things for me as well. And so <laughs> I'd love for you to kind of explain particularly this idea of, of spiritual abuse. What is, what exactly is this and, yeah. and how are we seeing that this has become so prevalent in, especially the lives of women in the yeah. church?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take a step back and just say as, as far as sexual abuse statistics, say that one in four or one in three I've read both women will be either the will be the victim of attempted or completed sexual assault in her lifetime Mm. and I have been in rooms where that's um, one in two you know and um, you know I get emotional thinking about it but the reality is that sin not only impacts our relationship with the Lord, but it impacts our relationship with one another. And I think the enemy has taken our sin and made women a target that women have been objectified and commodified and dehumanized for generations. And, um, I don't know a woman who hasn't had some experience. Now, certainly it's not all big T trauma, Mm. but a, a woman who hasn't been, you know, whistled at or looked at. Right in a way that's made her feel like an object or just an inappropriate experience with a man. And and of course, it is so devastating when it's at the hands of a pastor. Yeah, absolutely. Or the hands of a spiritual leader or a spiritual mentor, someone who is supposed to be both your shepherd and yeah. your protector and also who represents God
0: right, to you. Right, right.
1: Um, and I, you know, I know some pastors may not want to take on that heavy uh, role, but it's true that simply by nature of you being uh, a spiritual leader, Mm -hmm. you represent God to the people that you shepherd. And so, um, her, her interview actually made me think of a time when I was in college and I had a pastor, an older married guy, just be really inappropriate with Mm -hmm. me. I'll, I'll say that. And, um, and, Mm -hmm the vulnerability in that, uh, you know, you're this person that you look up to and you want to pour into you and right. suddenly they're showing you interest. And all of a sudden, when you realize that interest is not godly, right. um, what that does to your psyche as a woman is really, really devastating. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I heard Ed Stetzer say once, or I was at a, a church two conference at Wheaton college. And he said, Hey pastor, if you're having an inappropriate relationship with a woman, it's not an inappropriate relationship. It's
0: abuse. Wow. Yeah.
1: And um, because the, the power dynamic changes yeah. the whole conversation. Exactly. It just, it does.
0: Yeah. And, th- um, and that's something, you know, we've, we've talked about just in general, like what you've already alluded, this, this idea of pastors in some ways wanting to shirk that mantle or, or shirk mm-hmm. their understanding or awareness of the fact that there is, there is a weight that you bring to any equation, any circumstance because of the position that you hold in people's lives. We all know that leadership is not just positional. We understand that. Right. But there's something right. about spiritual leadership when you've been given that title as a pastor, when you have been given that mantle of ordination and you've been that, given that commissioning from a governing body to now, yeah. like what you said, represent God in a unique way to, to the yeah. people, to shepherd people, to show. And that that, that does create this additional weight in every single equation. So,
1: every interaction. In yeah. every
0: single interaction. So, it's so imperative to be conscientious of that and careful about right. how you use or abuse, advertently or inadvertently, that weight. You yeah, know, I see right. it just in conversations I have with people where, in a moment where I want to just be like, oh, let me just be Davy, like, let me just be Davy, you know, and, yeah. and not recognizing, wait, no, 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 I can't just be Davy in this situation. Because right. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm their yeah. pastor. I'm. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, oh. I think too, just for any listener who um, has experienced uh, this abuse or this inappropriate behavior or or assault, especially at the hands of um, a spiritual leader, I was thinking today about um, David's daughter Tamar
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in in Second Samuel thirteen she was raped by her brother and what has always bothered me about that is that I feel like why didn't David do anything like I I want you know you see the story kind of unfold and I just wonder why her earthly dad didn't do anything but I felt like today the Holy Spirit reminded me and I hope listener this encourages you that um, our Heavenly Father does do something that's right that he does not stand for this evil and Um, I wanted to read Isaiah 61, if that's okay, because uh, part of Tamar's story is after this rape happened, she takes off her ornamental robe, which is sort of the sign that she's a virgin daughter of the king, and then she puts ashes on her head and she spends the rest of her life in mourning. It's Mm. it's a deeply tragic story. But then I always wonder when, you know, the very famous uh, prophecy in Isaiah 61, Yeah. where he says that um, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, captives, to release from darkness the prisoners. And then he says, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, Mm -hmm. the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Wow. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will receive in your inheritance a double portion in your land. And I always think about Tamar with that. I always imagine that God has removed those ashes from her head and replaced them with that crown of beauty that he has replaced that robe with a garment of praise. And so I guess I want to say to the women listening or really to any listener who has been abused or victimized that, um, the Lord is not done with your story, that he loves you deeply and that he absolutely will enter the pain in your heart. He will remove those ashes and replace them with a crown of beauty. And he will replace your shame with a garment of his own making. Mm. And um, he is, he's there. Yeah. He knows your pain. He's not okay with it. And he will bring you dignity and the destiny that he has for you. Yeah. As long as you keep bringing your, your pain to him.
0: Man. Wow! Wow! Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, I I want to make sure that if you're listening to this and you've experienced some kind of sexual abuse, uh, you're sur- you're a survivor of sexual abuse. We have a community group that mm. um, is is designated just for you. Um, so our friend good. Rachel Henry, uh, her her episodes. We had two parts of that episode seventy one and seventy two. Um, you know, were a while back, but she and her husband Simon talk about her experience with, um, you know, where she was raped and now she has walked through some healing processes and she has come, you know, uh, come through that, that valley and she is leading a group of women wow. who are finding healing. And so I want to encourage That's you awesome. to join that platform, join that particular group. If you're listening to this right now, I just feel, I feel like the the spirit is prompting mm. somebody, uh, maybe yeah. a handful of people right now that this is the moment for you to step up and get healing uh, yeah. and and find that that garment of praise that the Lord wants to wrap around you. That's right.
1: Yeah, hmm. that's right. Wow.
0: Well, you know, let's, um, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this, this interview that we have with, with Jill. Uh, it's a, it's, you're, you're going to be touched by it. You're going to be blessed by it. And so I don't want to delay anymore, but let's go ahead and step into that. Jill, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me.
3: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, um, I know that we've got a lot that we can unpack in your story. Um, (laughs) I've just gotten a little bit of a flyover for that. So I'm not going to waste any time. Uh, I want to dive into it. But first, before we do that, I would love for you to just tell me a little bit about yourself. Present day, where do you live? What do you do? And it'll give our, our listeners some context as to who you are.
3: Sure. Thanks. Uh, well, I live in the Chicago suburbs and uh, most of my family's out here, but I'm single. I don't have kids. And I started my own ministry, Jill Monaco Ministries, back in 2012. And so my ministry is just, um, we have courses and programs, just like most people, um, that have a ministry where you're ministering to people online. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's online. And I'm a certified life coach.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: uh, credentialed with the International Coach Federation and i have a book that i've written on like coaching it's coaching and inner healing mixed together so i'm an author mm. and working on another one but pretty much that is what i do my with my everyday is yeah. work on those things
0: i love i love the convergence of that coaching and inner healing mixed together uh, because you're taking the beautiful aspects of both of those things, and a lot of people would say, oh, those are mutually exclusive things. You can't marry those two mm-hmm. things. You can't talk mm-hmm. about practical life application of things <laughs> and, and take some of the uh, the popular uh, psychology of how to help people move forward and mix that with spiritual healing, but you've converged those two. And I, I love that because it's very in line with our philosophy as well. Uh, what's the yeah. name of that book?
3: Uh, it's called The Freedom Coach Model. Okay. And it's not really a book you read as much as it's 20 different topics and activations is what I call them, where I teach a little, but then it's starting right off the bat. Here's a question you need to ask God and a place to journal and then a prayer at the end of each chapter.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously you've been on a long journey that's kind of helped lead you into this place where you are now helping other people with this type of work. Um, so why don't you take us back and begin just telling us the the story? Tell us the story of uh, your life and your pain and and the things that that God's brought you through.
3: Yeah, wow. It's a there are a lot of different pieces to my story. Yeah. Um, really, I grew up Catholic and uh, I had a great family. We were taught to love God, but in in really what's known traditionally is don't sin. You know, And if mm. you do, I saw God as a disciplinary God. And, and so my view of God really played into some of the events that happened throughout my life. But mm. the first major thing that um, God has had me work on the rest of my life is when I was just out of seventh grade, I was abused by a priest mm. and it was multiple times over the course of an entire summer and then even into eighth grade, he came back and, you know, like rub my shoulders in front of the whole class and tried to see me again and things like that and reached out to me again in my 20s. So it kind of followed Gosh. me. Um, but that event really made me feel... Um, like there was something wrong with me that I, I remember thinking I must have done something. I was too attractive that I made this man break his vows. And it, there's so much we could talk about even in that and how a mind of a, a young woman or a child works. Um, but because of that event, um, there were I didn't tell anybody until I was in my 30s um, because I carried so much shame with that. So I lived, you know, not really... Um, I loved God as a child. Like I remember praying and getting my guitar out and writing songs to him. Like I really loved him, but I was also afraid of him. So I thought if I am good and obedient, I deserve love. But if I'm disobedient, I that should be distanced. And I don't really know how that mm. got solidified as a child, but it did. And so when I was in college and I walked, you know, in my mind, walked away from all the things the Catholic church told me to do, and I lost my virginity, I thought, that's it. God can't forgive me. He's mad at me. He'll never forgive me for this. And so I just lived a life like the world would. Uh, And I was also, I was a musical theater degree. That was my degree. So I traveled the country um, singing and dancing. And so I was in that industry, which I loved. Um, but it also had a lot of unhealthy, um, spirituality views and, Mm. um, long story short, I ended up marrying a choreographer and, uh, he was emotionally abusive. So I chose someone that aligned with what I believed about myself Mm. and I cheated on him. So there's, it's not all in him, but I did and, um, confessed that, but then got divorced. And it was a few years after that, that I, um, that I, I remember I was acting in Chicago and um I was a full-time working actor. I was really blessed and the strike happened for the unions and I was sagging after and still am but uh and I needed a job. I was just like what am I gonna do? Mm. And I remember the street I was driving and I said, Lord, I don't know why I prayed this, but I said, Lord I am so tired about thinking, am I skinny enough? Do I have the right song? It's all about me all the time. Can I serve you five minutes from my home? Like Mm. crazy prayer. Um, And this is part of my testimony, but the Lord ended up, I started going to this little church and after a series of events, they asked me to be on staff to arrange the worship music and direct the dramas. Mm. And I am not saved like I am <laughs> sleeping with my boyfriend. I am just not like doing anything right. And, uh, and, but I'm hearing the bridge illustration and I don't really understand mm-hmm. it. And um, eventually they asked me to lead worship. And I knew by that time my heart had been convicted. I'm like, I can't do that. That's, I, I really still loved God. I just didn't know how to follow him. Yeah. And so home alone, I gave my life to the Lord and I just, you know, no one led me in a prayer, but I just did what was instinctual. Which is, God, I, I wanna, I wanna live for you, and I know mm. you're good. I just don't know how to stop sinning. So if you'll help me, I'll dedicate my life to you.
0: Mm.
3: And so that kind of led into other things that happened and repeated. I was on staff at different churches and um, ministries, and I had repeated experiences with senior pastors and um, other people who were inappropriate with me. The senior pastor at that church made advances. I told the elder board, he admitted it. Um, I mean, but it was still a trauma again for my first job in the church was so reflective of what happened to me in childhood. And that's when I finally told my parents. Hmm. Um, and so then that really the overarching story of how God led me to where I'm at today and coaching and having my own ministry. I had, um, other jobs that, uh, that I did it in between then and now, but one took me to Texas and um, I got involved with gateway church Mm -hmm. and I just found inner healing. They call it their freedom ministry. And I was so ministered to, and there were light bulbs every time I was just so hungry to know who God was. And, um, it'll almost like bring me to tears because I can just the tenderness of God, when you know, you're a sinner, Mm. when you know, you don't deserve to serve God. And he's letting you, like I say, letting you, like he's letting you do really awesome things. You're so humbled by that. And so my job was working with Christian artists and speaking on stages all across the country and, um, you know, to thousands of people. And I just um, was so in love with God, but I didn't know how to let him love me. Wow. And so that began my journey because you have to understand like Jesus was scary because he reminded me of the priest.
0: Wow. And so
3: I could love him, but I didn't allow him to love me. Yeah. Yeah. And so that began the inner healing journey. And as more abuse happened with other people, married men being inappropriate, I had to stop and say, what the heck am I doing wrong? I'm not flirting. I'm not dressing inappropriate. I didn't understand. Um, and so that set me on a path to um, really distance myself from people. So now I'm getting close to God, distance from people. So
0: wow.
3: it's a long story, but God has eventually brought me to this place where after so much um some encounters with him honestly like precious time with god that now i want to help other people find out what's limiting them from living the full life whether it's with god or with each other or even loving themselves
0: wow well i know you you just said it's a long story these are some things that i want to start to unravel a little bit and i'd love for you to kind of help us uh understand some of this because this is this is really um it's fascinating when you, as you sit and you talk about this, because some of the questions that you asked yourself are questions that I'm curious about now as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so th- th- let's start with you know, as a child, you've been abused by this priest, and mm-hmm. you, you said that you began to think, you began to have this belief that you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and you connected it to kind of the, the, the shaping of the, chi- the mind of a child. Talk, yeah. unpack that a little bit. Talk to me about what you've learned kind of happened uh, in your mm-hmm. young mind, um, in your young heart after this traumatic and multiple traumatic experiences with this priest.
3: Yeah. Um, so I've learned a little bit since I've gone through counseling and therapy. Uh, a lot of it got unpacked, to be honest with you only a couple years ago when i so i had admitted to people it happened yeah but i still carried the belief that i did something wrong so yeah. when i reported him to the police a couple years ago and he admitted it and there was an investigation he was to remove from ministry there was something about that that well, having pause a pause for a second
0: you, so yes. for how many years did you carry this before reporting it to the police
3: um 30 something years wow yeah, wow. I was, I mean, I'll give away my age, right? I was Yeah, I was going to say, 12, yeah, I 13. just asked that question. I'm
0: like, oh no, I just <laughs> no, that's asked okay. essentially I don't mind. your age. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm trying to do the math myself. My mom always told myself. me that was
0: taboo. For <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're fine. Uh, I'm trying to think of the age. Like I was 12-ish, 13 when it happened. Yeah. And wow. I'm 52 now. So, but I didn't tell anyone until I was 50. Wow. And that was the year that I lost the right to um, make any kind of case because the statute of limitations ran out that same year, which was wow. really frustrating.
0: Okay. We're going to come back to that in a second because I'm sure okay. that there's a God thing and all of that right there. I can yes. just kind of sense it. Okay. All right. Yes. So yeah, back to what you were saying. So you reported this, you're, you're discovering this the past couple of years. Um, yeah. what'd you begin to uncover?
3: What you asked about, like in the mind of a child, yeah. what I came to understand is children are self-centered. And so they only think about themselves and it's just, the brain hasn't finished developing yet. So it's all about them. And so when you carry into adulthood the mind of a child, you're still thinking it's all about me. What did I do wrong? Mm. Um, The other thing I learned is that um, children who are abused and especially repeatedly abused, our brains wire itself to um, not find certain things dangerous anymore because if it's dangerous, you live in this constant state of trauma. Mm. And so I numbed it and suppressed it because I knew it had happened, but to relive it, your mind can't tell the difference between something happening for real. And if you think upon it, it's like it's happening all over again. Yeah. So the way that we protect ourselves is not to dwell on it again. Um, right. I think of how God says to renew our minds. Like yeah. truly, we need to create new neural pathways in our brain of the way that we think.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, but probably the biggest revelation that my, my counselor helped me see, and when it came to the repeated patterns, was that because of that event, I didn't see the early warning signs in other situations and people. Mm. And so I had learned to self protect um, by not being transparent, not wanting to get in trouble ever. Because yeah. that was just too dangerous. And so those childhood wounds, most people, when you have bad experiences, you outgrow it. But when it's sexual trauma, um, it's so tied to your identity and your brain being wired that I just, instead of I did a bad thing, it was I was bad. Yeah. And wow. instead of it being his fault, 100% his responsibility and fault, I thought I had a part in it. Mm. So,
0: So. You know, then you're experiencing kind of the repetition of this seemingly as you're growing up and you're asking yourself the same question, you know, what did I Mm -hmm. do? And, and even as you stated, you asked your counselor, like, what am I like, what is it that's attracting, am I, you know, attracting this? It seems like, or, or, or there's Mm -hmm. like a gravitation of this and, and you begin to discover some things within that question as well. Unpack that for me.
3: Yeah. Well, when I wasn't walking with the Lord, so all through college, twenties, early thirties, I had boyfriends and, you know, I, I never felt that like to attract a man was a good thing. Like there was no shame in that. But once I got saved, all of a sudden there were all these, honestly, religious rules about what you, how you can flirt and how you can't. And I was just so afraid to do anything. Um, to, cause I just didn't want to dishonor God and I yeah. knew what life I had lived. So when it happened again and this pastor um, told me how he thought about me and how he wishes we could be together and those things, I was completely off guard mm. and I did never saw it coming. Cause I just assumed, you know, as, as a, I guess a grown up, I thought, well, that happened as a kid. Surely it wouldn't happen as an yeah, adult. Right. Um, so. To unpack it is still a little something I'm working on, yeah. but I don't, all I know is the the problem wasn't me. It was, it wasn't anything I did. And I think some women need to hear that yeah. because it's not that you've done anything wrong or you dress too sexy or any of those things. It's truly that you didn't see the early warning signs where other women do. Mm. So now that I look back on it, there were things that that pastor was doing Or another man that happened later, even when I was at Gateway, not he wasn't on staff at Gateway, he was a leader there, that I I discounted them. I always give people Mm. the benefit of the doubt and believe the best. And those are good qualities that we don't want to lose. Um, And it's not even about boundaries, but other women notice those things, and even men notice those things.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. You don't want to walk through life and you don't want to walk through ministry cold, calloused, closed off Mm -hmm. to... Uh, warm relationships with brothers and sisters in yeah. Christ. Like, you know, if in a perfect world, you would think, hey, we can interact with each other and give each other the benefit of the doubt. And unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world, even in ministry context, even in faith yeah. context. And so, yeah. you know, what it sounds like you're saying is that whereas other women who may have been more cynical, skeptical, you know, uh, maybe maybe even a little bit more uh, I don't want to say I don't I don't know if this is the right word but discerning. I say that because my mm-hmm. discernment meter is really off. Like I'm the same way as you, I give people the benefit <laughs> of the doubt over it. and my wife's like, "Yeah, uh that's a little bit of a red flag right there with that person." And I'm like, "I didn't see that at all, you know." But right. her discernment meter is really high. And so there are those of us that we we do just kind of like, "Oh no, that we assume the best about that." And so yeah. maybe we get a little bit further along than what somebody else were, whereas they would have set up a boundary or something. Is that kind of what you're saying yes, that you experienced? Absolutely. Okay.
3: Yeah, it was, I, I, I think there's a boundary that people naturally set. And then those of us that, you know, maybe it isn't even discernment. Maybe it is, maybe it's abuse, maybe it's not, but mm. I don't think there's like everyone who's been abused has this pattern because nothing is the same for everybody, right, right. but in many of us were just taught because the priest violated my boundaries. If anybody else, mm-hmm. a man or woman, anyone in leadership violated my boundaries, then I thought in order to be a good person or to honor God, I need to do what they say. Wow. And I wouldn't like it, you know, whether it was the job that was making me work nights and weekends and days all for Jesus. Yeah. You know, I didn't know how to say no. I, I just have this, I've used this phrase. It was called my broken no. I didn't know how to say no. And then I'd go home and wish I could. And then I didn't know how to get out of it. And because you're not, you couldn't do conflict. You couldn't, you know, um, confront your childhood abuser. You learn those patterns and habits to not do it as an adult. So you really um, have to learn how to do this again. You wow. have to learn how to confront. Yep. It's super uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, because most of the time you're afraid if I confront, then they're not going to love me and they're going to leave. Right. And then that affects my community or my church. Or
0: your job and or the your, risks, yeah.
3: Yeah, the risks are so great. Sometimes people put up with things. So this isn't just about um, having a broken note when you've been abused as a kid. It could be spiritual abuse. It could be psychological abuse that you grew up with or you had in a job that you've developed patterns of thought and behaviors and meanings about yourself yeah. that aren't true.
0: Yeah. This interview, like most on our podcast, is filled with pain that eventually led to purpose, but only after intentional recovery. Oftentimes we mention counseling as a resource that we recommend to use as a part of any recovery process. I can't even begin to tell you how valuable Christian counseling has been for me as I learned to navigate the loss of my late wife, Amanda. And since then, it has proved just as beneficial for Christy and I as we're learning to create healthy and healing rhythms for our life. Christy and I have decided in the wake of COVID 19 to try another type of counseling that doesn't involve in person meetings. So we have partnered with an incredible online worldwide organization who is sponsoring this podcast, Faithful Counseling. They provide virtual counseling with licensed therapists who are certified by their state's boards to provide therapy and counseling. Faithful Counseling is designed as a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling. Who would prefer hearing from the perspective of a christian if you are seeking a mental health professional who is a practicing believer faithful counseling may be a great option for you once you are matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less you can connect with them anytime via your computer tablet or mobile device through video calls phone calls or even text messaging they also have weekly group in our sessions where members can learn in a group environment with a counselor about various topics that we all face Just to clarify, Faithful Counseling is not a crisis line, but it can be an incredible resource during your healing journey. Faithful Counseling costs $65 per week, and financial aid is available to those who qualify. You can apply for that aid during the sign-up process. To learn more, go to faithfulcounseling.com slash nothingiswasted. If you sign up through that link only, you will receive 10% off of your first month of counseling for being a part of the Nothing Is Wasted family. Again, that's faithfulcounseling.com slash nothing is wasted. And now back to our interview. I want to circle back to this term spiritual abuse in just a second. We're going to put that on a shelf and come back to it because I'm okay. really fascinated by that term and kind of your experience within that. I know you've written some about that. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, you've been talking a little bit about the patterns and the neural pathways that our brain creates mm-hmm. and especially trauma and how that influences uh, those neural pathways. And mm-hmm. I love Romans twelve one and two, right? Do not conform any longer mm-hmm. to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind as, you, as you've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. My question is, is, you know, we all, we all kind of have, if you've grown up in church, we know that we hear that right now, there's a lot of conversation about this actual changing of your mind and actually changing the, the structure of your brain, uh, because of the spiritual activity that you're stepping into, can you talk to me a little bit about the practical, how do you do that? So when you recognize that there is an unhealthy pattern, when you're aware of that and you're like, okay, now I've got to change it, you know, something comes up traumatic trigger and you're like, oh, I recognize this emotion, this, or this thinking is unhealthy, this belief I have, how do I go about Mm -hmm. actually changing it then?
3: Such a good question. And there's so many different things that I have done and uh, I walk clients through in this area. But um, so one of them would be ask, like everything to me comes down to having a conversation with God and getting into his word. And we need to find out the truth. Mm. So what happens when you believe a lie and you read the truth in his word, but you don't believe
0: it? Wow.
3: Like it just, you're like, I remember one time saying, God, I know you're good. I read that you're good. I just don't think you're good to me. Hmm. (laughs) And I prayed that one day after like a lot of trauma, I was like, I just, I'm really struggling with wanting to come to you. So we have to really uncover the lie that we believe. Now lies are birthed out of critical traumatic events in our life. Now your traumatic event could be the kid didn't play with you on a playground. You know, it doesn't have to be yeah you know, right. Doesn't have to everyone. be
0: something big, you know, that qualifies us. Right. as like, oh, well now we're, yeah, it could be, there's all this little T trauma that right. shapes our our beliefs as we grow up. Yeah.
3: Right. So a lot of times I'll, I'll I'll say to someone, all right, so let's ask the Lord to bring a memory back to you of something that happened to you in your past. Mm. Like what was, when was the first time you believed the lie that whatever it is, I'm not good enough or whatever it is. And then once you discover what the lie is, you can start to see patterns. Like what have I done? Because I believe that lie, what have I believed about you, God? Mm. What have I believed about myself? What have I believed about others? Like really getting, I call it, put yep. all the cards on the table. Yep. Let's get as much information as possible to put on the table and see. Then once you know all the consequences in your life, it could be something that happened to you that was righteously, like your righteous anger, like right. my pre situation then you'll notice that you'll continue that cycle because you'll start protecting yourself and being defensive. So that doesn't happen again. But when we're protective and defensive and we're walking in a lie and a wall around us, most likely that same event or something that triggers us is going to happen again. Mm. So then you believe another lie that becomes even more solidified in your brain and then you protect more and then something else happens. This happens Mm. often with a cycle of rejection. You get rejected, you believe you're not good enough, you protect yourself. you start acting unlike yourself so yeah. people reject you again. right. So that's wow. one thing. Um, the other the main thing though even in that, that's kind of a formula that I help people replace lies with truth and really asking God what is the truth. but it the, the foundation is and I do this with every single time I'm triggered, every single time I'm upset, Um, or confused, and that is I sit with a pen and paper, and I'm quiet before the Lord, and I I praise Him, and I just thank Him for He's going to reveal truth to me. It's a promise that we seek wisdom. He will give it generously. Mm. And I say, Lord, show me how you see this situation. Mm. How do you see it? Show me a perspective I haven't seen before. And so when someone has hurt you, for God to tell you how He loves them and they're hurting, He gives you compassion. Wow. And that begins healing your brain. And Caroline Leaf talks about that a little bit. If, if people Have you heard of Dr. Mm, Caroline have. Leaf?
0: Yep, yep. What's and her so most just, famous book where she talks about that? Do you remember? Um,
3: um, maybe,
0: maybe I don't know. No, we'll, it's
3: it, I'm drawing a blank because yeah. you asked me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course it would. Yeah, we'll look it up and we'll put it in the show notes okay. for sure.
3: Yeah. But she talks about how the brain forms these neural pathways and actually negative thoughts create a dark shadow in your brain. And so when you rethink a good thought, a new thought, it takes about 21 days for that to create a new neural pathway. Mm. So right around the time, like you're like, I've got victory on this thing, like two, three weeks in, you're struggling again with it. And we have to make the conscious choice Mm. to believe God in his word.
0: Wow. You know, I'm kind of, as we're talking, developing this theory and i want you to either like help me with this or totally debunk it. i'm almost a, a afraid to kind of say this theory because i don't want people to i don't want to issue that god causes things to happen into our life. but i wonder as we're seeing like repeated things take place in our life if these are um they're a result of a fallen world obviously around us. And even some of the uh, subconscious ways that um, we're interacting and interfacing with the world that, you know, like the cycle of rejection that you just talked about there is a perfect mm-hmm. example. You know, we don't even realize that what how we're responding to something is actually leading us to our greatest fear of people rejecting us again, right? So right. Th- these things are repeating, but that maybe God is, is allowing these things to repeat in some ways, This is probably a really elementary term for it, but in some ways as a test Mm -hmm. to help us or invite us into a different response.
3: I think invite is the best word that you just picked. Like he is inviting us into our experience to see it like he sees it so he can heal it. Mm. So it doesn't have as much power because we get to choose what gets power. We either agree with the kingdom of light or darkness. Wow. And so we have, in order to choose the kingdom of light, we have to invite him into that. And I think in his love, sometimes he has, like you said, God doesn't create these things, but we know from the story of Job that he allows certain things and it's always for our victory. It's always for us to go to another level because we can't lead people where we haven't already walked.
0: That's great. Wow.
3: So it's the most loving thing he can do is to allow something to trigger us, to heal us, if we will accept that invitation.
0: Wow. Wow. Um okay, well let's go back to the shelf and talk about the spiritual abuse concept. Uh because okay. I told you off air this is something that I'm kind of I'm fascinated with because it's not a it's a term that I've only heard recently. Um mm-hmm. will you unpack the concept for me a little bit and tell me a little bit about your experience in that?
3: Yeah, you know, I didn't even know that I was going through spiritual abuse. Um, at that first job where I mentioned that pastor and then at the second job, and I've been very vocal about this on my blog. So um, I was on staff at a church here in Chicagoland that was a mega church and it had so many spiritual abuse um, characteristics, but I still didn't know what it was until Mm -hmm. I started going through inner healing. And so I want people to know if you didn't know that you were in this, it's it's okay. Most of us don't. Um, Spiritual abuse is really where someone in spiritual authority is using their authority to control or manipulate you.
0: Mm.
3: And it could be to do what they want you to do, or what they think is best for the church. So uh, this is where a lot of narcissists in leadership end up in this spiritual abuse cycle. So they're very closely tied. Um, I wrote a blog post called the 25 signs of spiritual abuse. And um, I'm just because I can't remember them off the cuff as well just read a few um spiritually abusive leaders twist the truth to make themselves look better and you end up questioning yourself like did i hear them right um and and so there's there's a lot of that kind of gaslighting that goes on in a spiritually abusive situation um they will um you'll notice that respect is like you're supposed to respect them right away they don't have to earn it they demand it. it yeah Yeah, it's, it's really about manipulation and control for them. So they'll say things like, you can't, uh, you can't leave this church. God hasn't released you yet. Mm. Or, um. Yeah, so they'll
0: use a spiritual uh, concept, kind of hover that or lord that over you, um, in order to control. Wow.
3: Right. And if we think about how the Lord is, like he's like, he doesn't stop us from sinning by shaming us or threatening us. Right. He loves us. I yeah. don't sin because he loves me, not because he threatened me.
0: Yeah, right, right. Because we're drawn, He, he his love influences us, right? Yes. His kindness leads us to repentance, as scripture talks Absolutely. about. So we're drawn to his leadership and we're drawn to mm-hmm. his direction, his commands, and to be obedient mm-hmm. to those, um, which is mm-hmm. the antithesis of what you're describing as, you know, uh, someone who is a, a spiritual abuser.
3: Yeah, they'll wow. take scripture and twist it. Is really like a basic yeah. and you, you don't know that you're you don't know what's happening at first yeah I can spot it now you know when someone twists something I'm like oh all yeah. right but we can also have compassion because what happened to them that made them that way mm. how did they grow up what experiences did they have who taught them that was an okay way to do leadership so yeah. even though I talk about spiritual abuse or even the physical abuse it really comes down to God, show me that situation like you see it mm. and help me to forgive and heal because we will let God use that for good. Like your podcast, like don't mm. let anything be wasted right. from that experience.
0: Wow. Wow. You, you said a phrase uh, as you were sharing your story, and I thought it was really intriguing. I'd love for you to kind of dive into it a little bit that um, it, it goes back to kind of this, this um, idea that you were questioning about, you know, am I, am I attracting this into my life? Am I, but you said something like Mm. I, I aligned, uh, I, I surrounded myself with people who aligned with what I believed about myself.
2: Mm.
0: Can I, can you unpack that a little bit, you know, explain what you mean by that. And then, you know, talk about, you know, what, what's the danger of, of that and, and, and believing the wrong things or falsehoods about ourselves.
3: Yeah. Um, so when we align ourselves with people, whoever it is, like good or good or bad, positive, negative, um, some people will think your choices are not good, right? You're gonna have people mm-hmm. who think that's a good choice, and some people who don't think it's a good choice. So we're always aligning. It's important to know we align ourselves with something. Yeah. So even today, we've all aligned ourselves with people political beliefs, music, whatever, we've aligned ourselves. So we have to look at what is the fruit of that alignment. Mm -hmm. So if that fruit is reinforcing what you already believe about yourself, that's going to feel comfortable to you and right. Mm -hmm. So if you are, and so to break out of that is very difficult because what you believe is often so rooted and grounded that it's very hard to change your beliefs. So I think the best thing we can do is question, be like the Bereans and do research Mm. and investigate and question your thoughts and bring them before the Lord. Um, So I attracted, I always say you attract what you are and you give away what you have. Hmm. So I, you attract what you are and you give away what you have. So I attracted people around me in my circle that also believed certain things that I believed I needed to dress different. I was too pretty. I was too pretty to be in ministry. I was tempting to married men. I wasn't allowed to be around married men. And so even, and then look what happened with that pastor. So in that first church, I was shamed for who I was. I already felt that way about myself, even if I wouldn't have verbalized it that way. I wouldn't have stayed if I disagreed. Mm. If I don't believe that's true, I am out of that church. Yeah. I am out of that community. That's not okay to talk about me that way because that's not true about me. Mm. So we have to know who we are in Christ. This is why identity in Christ is so important. Yeah, right. So we can recognize those unhealthy places because wow. you'll replicate what you believe about yourself and God.
0: Right. Right. Um, you you just thrown out this uh, this people uh, not people group a collective of people the Bereans, right you just talk, yeah. you just kind of threw it out there arbitrarily I did uh, and you know I I in studying I that's
3: all I know don't ask me more <laughs> oh come
0: on I want you to I want you to help me understand because it, it was really okay. cool you said you, you know the Bereans questioned their thoughts that's kind of what mm-hmm. characterizes them or marks them. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain any more about that? I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, no, but no.
3: <laughs> that's okay. I just love the verse that says be like the Bereans. Like they didn't mm. just believe what was said about Jesus or, you know, the Jesus movement at yeah. that time. Like they really wanted to search it out. They wanted to understand it. Um, so it wasn't just I, and I think they're we're all wired differently. There are some of us that are very logical and left brain and we go with what we hear. And, um, but then you want to investigate and there's other people that are feelers and you just, you know, like you right. feel it. So right. it must be true. So I love the brains that they really wanted to search it out and they asked questions. Yeah. Uh, so
0: that's great. Well, you just threw in another component to this whole thing, the, the emotions, where do, where do our emotions? We've talked a lot about our mind, our thoughts, our beliefs, mm. and how we change those where our emotions play in with all of this.
3: Yeah, I have um, a a thing on my a website that's free for. It's called Living Free. Anybody can get it, and it comes with a workbook. It's an hour class on this exact thing on how our thoughts and our beliefs are so tied. Our, our sorry, our thoughts and our emotions are so tied together that they form our beliefs. Mm. So I always say our emotionals, our emotions, are great informers, but they're terrible drivers. Yeah,
0: it's great, right?
3: And so. Um, they can inform us a lot about what's going on. That's where we get triggered, but it can also be good things, right? Yep. Joy and happiness. Yep. And it informs us, but it's not the entire reality. God gave us emotions because he wants us to feel what he feels, whether yeah. it's joy or sorrow. So it connects us to God and it's so good. But our thoughts can run rampant based on our emotions. Mm-hmm. If they're not, um, if if we're just not submitting our thoughts to Christ, then whatever we feel, we can think is true. Mm-hmm. And it's not either or; it's both that like manage each other.
0: Right. Wow, it's so good. Um, so now you're helping a lot of people with this, you know, content like you said, coaching and inner healing mix, mm-hmm. and you, you do a lot of coaching with people. How, I'm, I'm curious how. Doing this because you also said I'm still unpacking some of the trauma and and how that has yeah. affected me, um, mm-hmm. and and I love the fact that those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You know, that's one of the things we're continually espousing on this podcast: is Hey, you are a wounded healer,
2: <laughs> yeah. right?
0: As you are as you are recovering from your own woundedness, you can yeah. help other people. And in fact, one of the things that we continually say is it actually helps to, I don't know if expedite is the right word, but it is a catalyst for components of your healing to help other people turning and, it around, right? How have you seen that true of your life as you're helping other people?
3: Yeah, there was, there was a time where I was really struggling right around the time where I was reporting the priest. And I had so much anxiety that I went to the doctor. I mean, I was, I'd wake up with fear in the middle Mm. of the night. And I knew logically in my thoughts, I'm like, I shouldn't have this anxiety. There's nothing wrong. But. I was starting to heal those places for telling your story for the first time mm. and using your voice is so important. Yeah, yeah. Um, As you as you know, like just sharing your story. And then what happens is other people connect with you and go, oh, I feel that way, too. Can you help me? And so in the middle of that, I was coaching mm. and I remember praying and saying, God, I should not be coaching right now. I told mm. like my counselor, I need like a three month break from life yeah. so I can just deal with my stuff. And really what I found out was that I was asking God to distance me from service so I could be healed. And there was no example in the Bible where anyone did that. Come on! <laughs> like, wow, Everybody who walked with God and followed his will were messy along the way and they still loved people well. Wow. And I think it allows us to be more empathetic and in mm. tune with people. Um, there was a conversation I had with God. Um, and I, and this is recent, like I was mad about something and I said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm really mad, but I'm wondering if you're mad at me. And Mm. he was like, why would I be mad at you? Like I'm hearing this conversation in my head for my spirit, you know, not out loud or anything.
0: No, but I think this is really cool. What you're, what you're describing right here, because this is the exact idea of this inner healing. You are asking God. Like you're communicating with God. You're going, hey, this is a personal thing. And I think there's Mm -hmm. some who would hear this right now and go, wow, that feels weird. I can't imagine doing that. It's like, Mm -hmm. hey, listen, he is a personal (laughs) living God who wants this kind of personal relationship with you. And he will communicate with you if you open Mm -hmm. yourself up Mm -hmm. to receive it and to listen. And while it may not be audible, as you're saying, there is this impression, this impression of the Holy Spirit that is happening I love that. I think that's so powerful. Just to, I love how you just kind of like, flip. well, I'm having this conversation with God, and it's just, it shows it's, so, it's become so natural to you. It is. And I just wanted to stop and highlight that for other people, like, hey, this is what it needs to be for us, guys. Like, this it's is what it Mike, needs to be.
3: So fun. That's the best part of doing ministry, and even when I coach, is I will ask people questions. Like They'll have a thing, like, I'm angry. Okay, yeah. well, let's... And then I'm thinking, well, ask God this. Have you thought about asking wow. God that? And then they're just quiet. And I'm it's usually the first thing that comes to mind. Wow. Like you don't want to overthink it. And if it's not God, we're not going to worry about it. Yeah. If it doesn't align yeah. with his word, it's not God. There
0: you go. That's but, it.
3: But let's let's just play. Let's see yeah. what comes out of this. And every single time people have like tears, they're like, wow. oh, and God heals them in that conversation. And so in this anger conversation with the Lord, um, he was like, I, what I felt him saying was, well, if you weren't bothered by this, I'd be concerned. Wow. And I was like, oh. And so most of the time when I hear the Lord help me see a situation like he does, I'm really surprised and (laughs) because I'm like, I was not that smart to come up with that. Wow. And I said to him honestly, I was like, "Well, I want to pass the test. I want to do well. I want to be qualified." Wait, you know, like I'm sorry,
0: did I like I triggered you with asking that test question earlier? Then probably. you did because I'm like, ah, I've been there.
3: We do. We feel tested yeah, when it's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. Right.
3: Um, And I wonder what would happen if we, instead of seeing these things like tests, we saw them like what you said as invitations. Yeah, it exactly. Shifts the whole, I don't want to go to God to. I want to go with God. Exactly.
0: To God about yeah. And I also heard somebody say the other day that the, that testing for us, especially in Western culture is pass or fail. We always think yeah. that. That's how we align yes. ourselves with tests. We're like, well, I either passed or I failed it. And so we feel shame if we bring that into the spiritual realm. We go, Well, God tested me because scripture says, right? Mm. He told the Israelites, I brought you through the wilderness to test you, to know what was in your hearts, right? Well, so it's in there. There's something to testing that happens in our lives, but it's not pass or fail. The Eastern mind was not, it was not a pass or fail. It was a revelation. It was to draw out what was in our hearts so that, uh, so that God could know, even though he already knows what's in our hearts, but more importantly, so that we could know and we can know how far we've come on the journey. We could see the yeah. progress that has been made because of right. these different instances where we're where we're seeing transformation happen in our life. So it's not pass or fail, you know. When I think about that, it's I'm like, oh well, it's that's a that's a different uh perspective on testing.
3: It is. You know. It- it is. And I'm, I, I had a friend once say, why do you, why are you welcoming God to like, you know, refine you? I'm like, well, <laughs> because I want to, I really want to be everything God wants me to be. And yeah. so then I stopped praying that because it brought some challenging things.
0: Oh. But, well, I, um, and I, So I've interrupted you multiple times okay. as you're trying to tell this like anger story. Um, you That's just keep okay. bringing up all these insightful things. I'm like, hold on a second. This is amazing. Okay. All right. That's so all right. this anger story, you're like, I want to pass the test. And then I want to
3: pass the test. And I, you know, I want to grow as a leader. I just, I still have, this is where I'm talking about. Like, we still have those little old childhood wounds yeah. coming up. This was a hundred percent. What I believed about myself is so revealed in this. In that moment, me being angry, I thought it was wrong to be angry. Mm. So that's been something because I couldn't be angry at the priest. And so I've carried that on mm. where anger is wrong to me. And so God allows me to be angry yeah. so that he can speak into it. And he says, well, I remember another time he said, what kind of father would I be if I was okay with injustice done to my kids? Wow. And so that made me consider what do I really believe about God in that? Wow. Um, but in this conversation with anger um, and I was crying and I was like, I just feel like I'm not you know, like we all as leaders have this moment yeah. where, you know, at some point or another, you're like, I shouldn't be leading right now. And the Lord said to me, tenderness and tears does not mean you're a bad leader. Wow. And, um, or a weak leader is the, was the phrase wow. and it made me embrace my tenderness and embrace my tears and say, that is okay. And I wasn't really taught that in leadership and every organization I was with. Vulnerability meant you could be disqualified. Mm. Vulnerability and struggling and not being in a great place meant you need to take a break or you get Mm. fired or there's so much in the religious community that I think we're doing a disservice. I mean, we've seen how many pastors like commit suicide. They just didn't feel like it was okay to say I'm hurting right now. And we have to be better at that. We have to allow compassion to be our response to bu- vulnerability wow wow
0: so you mentioned that as you were coming out about this priest that that year right before the statute of limitations had mm-hmm. expired and at the same time you know there's this struggle that you're having with justice yeah you know, where god where you're having this conversation with god about And he's saying, hey, what kind of a father would I be if I allowed uh, injustice and was okay Mm. with that? How do you reconcile the two of those things that this priest was not um, able to be charged Mm. for this, and yet there's somehow God's telling you there's justice in it? Can you talk to me about how you've processed through that?
2: I
3: think I was still processing through it. Mm. Um, in the beginning, in the beginning, when I went to the police, I was driving in my car to the police department to report him. I had praise music on and I was yeah. thanking God for giving me courage and strength. Then as time went on and he admitted it, every single time I got a call from the police up into the, you can't, we can't file, we can't prosecute because the of statute of limitations. Up until then, I was 100% believing God was giving me strength for justice. Then when I found out for some reason, I at that moment when when justice couldn't be enacted in the way I thought justice needed to be done, then I got mad. And that revealed a lot about my thoughts about what I thought God's justice would be. I don't know what God's justice is going to be for him. So what I've really turned my heart to is there's a pray and release. You can pray for someone. And then release it. You don't have to pray for them forever, the ones Mm. that have offended you. But for me right now, what that looks like is truly believing that justice will come in whatever form God wants it to be. There's been other victims that read my blog and have come to me to tell them that they suffered under his hand too. Mm. And so justice has looked like justice for other people, for them getting their voice to be able to share their abuse for the first time and be healed um, by someone who just listened to their story. Wow. So we don't understand God's justice. I'm sure I would love for God to, to heal him, but I also believe justice doesn't mean he gets to be restored to a previous position of leadership. Right. Right. I mean, it just, once you've crossed the line of hurting someone else, God protects the sheep.
0: So yeah, those things can be mutually exclusive that someone can be fully healed and restored as a person, but not in a position, um, in a place of influence and leadership. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because you know with our story I wrestle a lot with the idea of justice and forgiveness and mm-hmm. and sometimes I wonder if the justice that that in some situations that God chooses to um to uh, lay lay down in someone's life is actually a a true broken brokenness and con, and contrition for mm-hmm. their Uh, for their wrongdoing, like a true repentant spirit.
3: And what happens when they never are?
0: Yeah, that's, I know, when they never are, it's like, where does that justice come in? You know, but I wonder sometimes, we think justice equals punishment. Oftentimes, that's what we, we tend to equate the two. And that's not necessarily, they're not necessarily the same thing. Right. You know, um, that like just- It's hard
3: to leave it up to the Lord, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's hard to just let go of that because your pain is really attached to it.
0: Mm, Big time. So
3: if we can heal our pain, then we can let go of the tie that makes us think we know what justice for that person needs to look like. Right.
0: Right. So I guess without even having any kind of resolution to that question, you know, we can just kind of say, well, we may not know what justice looks like on, we think we have an idea in the worldly, uh, Through our worldly eyes, what justice looks like, right? We have, we have, we have, we have law, we have due process, we have all of these things that we have Mm -hmm. a concept for justice, but, but God's kingdom justice might be different. Yes. And uh, we're not real sure what that looks like. Wow. Hmm.
3: Yeah. Hmm. It's a hard thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to make anyone think that. I think there's a lot of platitudes that are given out, like, well, you just need to love and you need to forgive. And what happens when that doesn't work? Does that mean you're a bad Christian? Mm -mm. Why would you take more abuse upon what you've already been given for the hand? Maybe you're just human.
0: Yeah, that's, wow, that's good. Wow, man. Jill, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, some more about the the work that you do and and just kind of where we can... Uh, where we can follow you and find you. I mean, this has been a remarkable conversation. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm looking at my producer right now and I'm like, hey, we got to get her back on and talk some more. <laughs> like, I feel like we could have conversation for hours about this, but um, love uh, I, w- we would lo- I would love if our listeners can you know, follow what you're doing and even get involved in some of the work that you're, you're doing in coaching. So could you share with us where we can find you?
3: Yeah, sure. Everything is at jillmonaco.com. So it's J-I-L-L-M-O-N-A-C-O. And from there, they can connect to all the social media. I'm always putting out something every day, especially on Instagram, just a thought about these topics. Yeah. Um, and then there's a way to connect with me in coaching one-on-one, but I also have some group coaching for those that want to, you know, maybe save some money, but still want some help. And then I have a ton of free resources on the website
0: as well. That's awesome. Well, Jill, thank you so much for joining me on this. And, uh, thank you for your vulnerability and and your heart and and just teaching us through this. I know this is going to help so many different people. Um, I mean, you enlightened me to so much as well. And so I appreciate that.
3: Thanks for having me. It's been great.
1: Hey, that was such a great interview. Mm. Oh, I just love it. Mm. By the way, that song was from our favorite, Sleeping at Last. That's right. Love him. <laughs> love him. Love the music that he brings to Nothing is Wasted. Oh. If you liked that interview, if you liked any of our other episodes, if they meant something to you, go on iTunes and rate and review. That means so much to us and yeah. helps us keep crafting a great show for you.
0: It does. And if you haven't seen our uh, fairly new platform, the stories platform, nothingiswasted.com slash stories. You can go and read other stories of redemption, of healing, of people walking through their valley and navigating it. It's just another way we want to help you live, learn, and lead through your pain. You can also submit your story. We would love to hear your story. It's one of our favorite things to hear people's stories. Uh, We also think it's part of your healing journey to be able to tell your story. So if you've never written it down, I want to encourage you to practice that. Write it down and send it in to us. Nothingiswasted.com slash stories. And um, while you're kind of going all over the internet, you can also go to Instagram and you can <laughs> you can follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Uh, you can follow me at Davey Blackburn and follow Aubrey at OBSAMP, A-U-B-S-A-M-P.
1: A-U-B-S-A-M-P. That's, that's right. I, I like
0: that. That's right.
1: Hey, next week, we have Dr. Adam B. Dooley for a great interview. I'm excited to hear from him mm-hmm. and the things that he's going to share about his really kind of painful journey, but yeah. some great wisdom and God's God's uh, power in the middle of it. So yeah. let's listen to a little clip from his interview.
2: My wife and my two sons, that's, that's all the children we had then— We had just gotten back from vacation, and um, got in late on a Saturday. My oldest son, Carson, was unusually lethargic. Uh, He did not have the energy of a typical three-year-old, and he had an unusual rash from his chin down to his collarbone. Mm. Unusual in that it was bright red, but it was completely smooth to the touch. And so uh, we got up the next morning, Sunday morning. I was headed off to church like I always uh, do. And uh, my wife said, you know, I'm not going to join you today. I think I need to take Carson to the pediatrician. And so she did. I I went off to preach and uh, she took him to the uh, doctor's office. And when I came out of the service, I had a text message from her that just said, hey, they're running some tests. I think you better come.